Let's start things off with a term that maybe you've heard before, um, and maybe you haven't. Chances are, if you've spent any time in or around church, you have heard this word before. Even if you haven't been in or around church that much, you may have heard this term before because it became such a prevalent term, not only in like cultural Christianity, but just culture in general, and that is the term born again. Are you a born again Christian? By golly, I'm a born again. Are you a born again? So maybe, okay, you, you get the idea. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. It became such a prevalent term um, back in the day and, and kind of continues to be somewhat today. It's fading off some. Uh, but the idea of born again, it started as a, an individual experience, but then it shifted over time into a group label or a group identity. So what started as an individual experience, I have been born again because it was an expression that somebody's faith, somebody's Christian faith, their faith in Jesus made such a difference in their life. It made such an impact in their life. It changed them so much that the best way to describe it was, it's like the person that used to be died and now a new person's been born. I've been born again. And so it went from being an individual experience that was powerful, that was tangible, to shifting over time to being a, a group identity. It went from being, have you been born again, the experience, I have been, I have been born again, to I am a born-again Christian. It went from an experience to a group identity. And honestly, uh, the actions of many people in that group who hold that label, who say, yep, I'm a born-again Christian, the actions of many of the people in that group haven't been so great over the years. And it's actually med led many people, maybe this might include you or someone you know, it's led many people to ask, is Christianity good? Does it work? Does it actually make a difference? If so, how? Like, is it good? Is it good for people? Is it good for our culture? Um, and if it is, if Christianity is good and it's work and it works and it makes a difference, then how come so many Christians or so many people who claim to be born again, why don't their lives look any different than anybody else? The passage we're going to look at today actually kind of brings some of this into light, and we're going to talk about that term, born again, and really the root of where it comes from. So that's what we're going to do. We're in the Gospel of John today. Um, you can follow along on a Bible or uh, on a mobile device or something like that, or these words are going to be up on the screen as well. So you can follow along there. We're in John chapter 3, and we're going to encounter Jesus having a conversation with someone. Um, actually, over this next kind of section of John, there's going to be several interactions that Jesus have, has with people, and he just... He confronts things that they thought they knew, right? Like he has interactions with people that confront how they think the world works and how, what, people and God and faith and all of that. And he just flips things on their head. And that first interaction is with a guy named Nicodemus. That's what we're looking at today. So uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we read this, that there was a man uh, from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. So John gives us a little backstory on who this Nicodemus character is. He says he's a Pharisee, which means he's a religious leader, that he, he knows uh, his Bible like really, really well. He's an expert in the law, an expert in what we would call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the, the Jewish law and prophets, their scripture, their Bible. He's an expert, and he's not only an expert in it, like he's, it's like his whole job is to be good and to follow the law and to make sure other people do that too. So he is a Pharisee, a religious leader, an expert. A, a, uh, and as a part of that, John lets us know too, he's also a ruler of the Jews. So the, as a Pharisee, he was a part of what was called the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. It was made up of a couple different groups of religious leaders, and essentially the Sanhedrin had religious jurisdiction over every single Jewish person. And so Nicodemus is a big shot. He's powerful, he's well-informed, he's well-connected, he's well-educated, uh, like he, he's, he's wealthy, like Nicodemus has a lot going on, and he's about ready to strike up a conversation with Jesus. 
And that's what happens. Verse 2, it says that this man, Nicodemus, came to, to him, being Jesus, at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform these signs that you do unless God was with him. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus. John lets us know it's at, it's at night. There's different theories for what exactly that means. Like maybe Nicodemus was embarrassed by being seen by Jesus. Maybe it's just so, uh, you know, he was, Nicodemus was busy during the day as a religious leader. Jesus always had crowds around him, so nighttime was the only time where they could get together. Uh, regardless of, of what his motivation for coming at night is, it paints a scene uh, of, of an intentional conversation where it's just Jesus and Nicodemus and, and, and like the disciples maybe around, but it's a small gathering where there can be an intentional conversation where Jesus can get to the root of the things that Nicodemus is really asking. So it's nighttime, Nicodemus shows up and he addresses Jesus by saying, hey, listen, Rabbi, you know, you're a teacher, you're, I'm, I'm showing you a sign of respect. We know... So me and some of the other people, me and some of the other religious leaders, we, we recognize that you're a teacher who's come from God because there's these things that you're doing, there's these signs that nobody could do unless God was behind it. Like, like there, Jesus, there, there's, we know there's something different about you compared to other teachers uh, and other religious leaders. And, and so he, he kind of sets this conversation up respectfully, uh, maybe a little bit of flattery, just kind of like, hey, you know, you're a teacher from God, we see everything that you're doing. But man, the way that Jesus responds to this, he just kind of clears all that away and says, let's kind of, let's cut past the fluff and let's get right to it. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus does the typical Jesus-y thing and he answers a question that hasn't actually been asked yet. Uh, Nicodemus is about to ask Jesus a series of questions that he kind of answers. There's this like, question and answer that goes on throughout this interaction. Uh, but this, this first encounter, it's like, Nicodemus doesn't even get a chance to get the question out yet, and Jesus starts answering it. It seems like the first question that Nicodemus would be uh, asking to get this kind of response is, are you here, Jesus, to bring the kingdom? Because as a devout and well-taught Jewish man, as a, as, a, as a leader and a religious leader, Nicodemus would have been waiting for that. He would have anticipated the arrival of the kingdom at the end of history. Now, the kingdom is just, man, it is the rule and reign of God. It's God's will being done, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this is actually one of the only times that John uses that phrase uh, in his gospel. Uh, he prefers a different term. So John talks a lot about eternal life, uh, but eternal life in John is kind of synonymous with kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in the other gospels. It's this idea of life in the age to come, like life in the rule and reign in the goodness of God. Uh, life not now, like this is present age of death and destruction and pain, but like life in the age to come and the rule and reign of God when things are as they should be. And so Nicodemus goes to Jesus like, we see the signs that you're doing. We recognize that. And they're kind of, they're kind of, Jesus, they're kind of looking like signs. It's like, is the kingdom coming? Is this the Messiah who's going to bring the kingdom? Um, so are you here to usher in the kingdom? Are you here to bring the kingdom? And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, hold up, back up. Like, Let's pump the brakes. You're wondering about me bringing the kingdom and ushering in the kingdom, but we, 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 gotta, we, gotta, we gotta talk about something else. You can't even see the kingdom. Like if it was staring you right in the face, which, spoiler alert, it is, he's like, if it, if it were right here in front of you, you couldn't see it. You couldn't perceive it. You wouldn't understand it. See, Jesus is bringing to the surface what Nicodemus' real issue is, and it's ours, it's our issue as well. That even though Nicodemus, is, he, man, he's got all the information, he's a religious leader, he's, he's smart, he should know this stuff, uh, he has a problem, and his problem and our problem is the same thing, that the issue with seeing and entering the kingdom is not so much one of prohibition, 
It's not that Nicodemus, you're prohibited from entering. Um, no, it's, it's a statement of incapability. It's not that you're not allowed to see or to enter. It's that you're incapable of it. It's not that you're forbidden. It's that you're unable. You're, you're not, you, you, can't, you can't do it. Nicodemus, how can you possibly, like, you can't even see the kingdom. How can you enter something, be a part of something, experience something that you're not even able to see? And this is one of the things about Jesus' ministry and his, uh, his message and his life that was such a challenge to Nicodemus and the other Jewish people, the other Jewish leaders, is that they expected the kingdom of God to come when the curtain falls on history. Like at the end of the age, when all is said and done, show's over, that's when the kingdom comes. Uh, if, if you're a Christian or follower of Jesus, we, you know, we kind of talk about this in terms of the second coming of Jesus. When he returns, sets all things right, uh, no more death and destruction and evil and pain and suffering, that's all gone, and it's life in the kingdom and the rule and reign of God. Uh, so for the Jewish people, we're like, no, that, that, that all comes at the end. And so Jesus is showing up, and he's, he's breaking some categories uh, in which this idea that when he showed up the first time, Jesus showed up and walked the planet, and through his life, death, and resurrection, he inaugurated the kingdom. It came breaking into the kingdoms of the world, but it's not fully here yet. He inaugurated it the first time, and he'll consummate the kingdom. It'll be here in its fullness when he returns. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he's like, listen, you can't actually see it, but it's right in front of you. The kingdom is here right now. You can't see it because in order to see it, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. There's that phrase. There's that idea. You got to be born again. The idea of born again, um, it, it can have a couple of different meanings the way it's, it's, it's worded here in the Greek. It can mean born again like a second time, like a second physical birth. Uh, like the, uh, uh, and that's how often it's rendered, born again. Um, and that's, it becomes clear that's how Nicodemus is picturing it. Uh, because of his response that we'll see in a minute. He's like, born again, how can I be born a second time? Um, but it can also mean born from above. Are you you got to be born again. You got to be born a second time, but not just like you were born the first time. You need to be born from above. Like there needs to be a spiritual birth, a heavenly kind of birth. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you need like a birth that is, that is uh, uh, founded and in, in, like that originates from the kingdom of God. Like, you need to be born from above. You need to be born again. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus this, and it's going to come off as a major surprise. Although, like, Nicodemus and other Jewish teachers, they spoke about people who weren't Jewish, so people who were called Gentiles, that some of them would become converts to Judaism, and they would talk about those converts as, like, newborn children, that they started a new life. And so the concept of conversion being talked about as a new birth that wasn't a new idea. Nicodemus would have known that and would have understood that. But here's the thing. It never occurs to him that that applies to him. Like it never occurs to, to him that someone who is Jewish would need to be born again because to, to Nicodemus, to the religious leaders, to the Jewish people, to be a Jew was, was enough. Like that was to be a, a, like a part of the nation of Israel was to be someone who would inherit the kingdom. Israel was God's special possession, his, his nation that was called out. Like, like they're like, no, we're already in. We're in the kingdom. And so for Nicodemus, is like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? I need to be born again. I'm already good. I'm already in, right? But Jesus is telling this well-respected, learned Jewish leader that his life and his faith, it wasn't enough to see the kingdom. It wasn't enough. That it wasn't enough that he was just that he was just born to the right group of people. That he was born physically. That he's like, oh, you're, you know, you're 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 part of Israel, so you're in. You're automatically in. He's like, no, no, no. There's something else that needs to happen. 
You need to be born again. You actually need to kind of start from scratch and become like a child again. Nicodemus isn't quite getting it, so he says, how, how can anybody be born when he's old? Right? He's, he's thinking of literally being born again. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? I, I, I was like, I don't, Jesus, I don't, I don't get what you, what, you, what you talking about with all this born again stuff. So Jesus answers by saying, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God for whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus is like, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus, time out, time out, time out. What, what, what do you mean born again? How am I supposed to be born again? I'm a, I'm a grown man. How am I supposed to be born again? And Jesus is like, Nick, Nick, listen, listen, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about being born of the spirit. You have to be born of the spirit. You've got to be born of water and spirit. Now, there's actually been a lot of, uh, uh, there's some debate over what does Jesus mean by water and spirit. The spirit part is pretty clear. It's like, okay, there has to be something spiritual, something outside of yourself that happens. Um, different scholars have suggested different things as to what water means. Um, some hold that water means is a reference to baptism, that you need to be baptized uh, and have the Holy Spirit fill you. Um, some have suggested uh, that, that, um, that it's physical birth, like a reference to, like, you got to be born of water, you got to be born physically, and then, in addition to that, physical birth isn't enough, you also need to be born spiritually. Uh, and then there's another interpretation, which I tend to lean towards. I think it's the best explanation of the text, that water refers to a kind of, of washing or cleansing of the soul, like, if, you, if you, you need to be born of water, you need to be cleaned, you need to be cleansed, and you need to be filled with the Spirit. Um, th this idea, I, I think, comes from, like, there's a passage that Jesus is, is likely referring to here from uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 28, and he's actually expecting Nicodemus to be picking up on this, because here in just a few minutes, he's going to kind of call Nicodemus out for not understanding. He's like, wait a minute. You're supposed to be a teacher. You're supposed to be a leader. How are you not getting this? You should know this passage. And so in Ezekiel, um, this is the prophet Ezekiel. So God is speaking through the prophet to the nation of Israel, talking about, hey, this kind of, you know, when the Messiah comes, when the kingdom comes, he says this, for I will take you out of the nations. I'll gather you from all the countries. I'll bring you back into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And then I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. And so that this picture that when the kingdom comes, for you to enter it, for you to see it, for you to experience it, you're going to need to be cleansed and filled with the spirit. There's a cleansing, there's a cleaning, there's a purification, and there's a filling of the Spirit. And if you've been tracking along through this series all the way back in the beginning, if not, I encourage you to go back and, and check it out. Uh, there's there's this, this person named John the Baptist, and he declares when Jesus shows up, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So he, he's talking about Jesus. This is the one who ta takes away the sin. There's a cleansing, and he fills with the Spirit. And so Jesus is like, listen, listen, this is, this is how you see the kingdom. This is how you enter the kingdom. This is how you experience the kingdom. There's a, there's a cleansing, there's a purifying, and there's a filling that takes place. You have to be born of the Spirit. There's something that God does that works on you. And he says, for whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of Spirit is Spirit. This is so big for, for Nicodemus to understand this, and for, for who Jesus is talking to. He says, listen, 
Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. That is, your human efforts will yield human results. Okay, so the, the, the things that, that you try really, really hard to do, like that will only get you so far. So you can try really hard to be a good person and to get yourself cleaned up and to, uh, you know, you take care of some sin issues. And I got issues with anger and stuff. So let me work on that. Let me try to work on that. Let me try to work on my relationships. Let me try to be more generous. Let me try to beat that addiction. Let me, so it's like, you, but, but the, the, those things are good and you should do that. But your human efforts will yield human results. And even when it, when it relates to, to your faith, you can try to have a faith that's solely built on intellect um, and on reason and logic and doctrine and belief, all the things that you can control and you can hold on to, but that will yield human results. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, but whatever is born of spirit is spirit. There's something that happens outside of you that God does that transforms us got to be born of the Spirit. And then he says, don't be amazed that I told you you need to be born again. So you just picture Nicodemus is sitting there with this look on his face like, what? What? what, what? Mind blown? Like, Jesus, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm a religious leader. I'm a Pharisee. What do you mean I need to be born again, born of the Spirit? Jesus, you're talking crazy. And he's probably just got this look of shock, of, of amazement. And Jesus is like, why are you shocked? Why, why are you amazed by this? Nicodemus, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't be amazed. Like, don't, don't, why are you like, uh, surprised or amazed or shocked that I'm confronting you with some things, that I'm challenging how you think, that I'm, I'm challenging what you think about God and yourself and the world and the kingdom and how all this works? Why is this surprising? I mean, Nicodemus, you showed up and you've said, hey, we've seen the signs that you, you're doing. Like, Nicodemus, you know, like there's, there's some curiosity there. You think I might be the one who's bringing the kingdom. And as the one who's bringing the kingdom, do you really think that I wouldn't do something that would confront how you see the world? Why are you shocked? Why are you amazed? And this is something that we need to take something out of, man. Like, uh, we, we kind of brush past this, like, oh, hey, Nicodemus is amazed. But I'm just wondering how often, this is for those of us that are followers of Jesus, how often are we shocked or are we amazed? Or maybe how we would say it, are we offended by Jesus confronting us? Like, man, if Jesus is who he says he is and, and who he claims to be, and we say we believe that, we should actually expect him to confront us to challenge how we think, to challenge how we see the world, to challenge the way that we believe. Like, we shouldn't be shocked or amazed by that. We should expect it. And for some of you, my fear is that like you're a follower of Jesus or you're considering it and there's this posture that is so prevalent of, I will embrace Christianity and I will embrace Jesus as long as it affirms what I already believe and how I already think and how I already see the world. But the minute it doesn't, I'm done. I'm out. Like, I'm cool with Christianity, and I'm cool with Jesus as long as it backs up and goes along with and affirms how I view politics and how I see justice and the way I think about sexuality and the, what, what I do with my money. As long as Jesus doesn't mess with any of that, I'm fine. But the minute that, that he starts confronting things, I, I see, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Like, we, should, we shouldn't be amazed. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be stunned. Whenever Jesus confronts us, when he challenges the way that we think, we should expect it. And if Jesus isn't confronting you, it's probably not Christianity. And, and here, here's why I say this, because I, I, don't, I don't want you accepting a Jesus who doesn't confront you. 
and then six months down the road, a year down the road, five years down the road, you be questioning your faith because you're like, well, it's not working. Like I've been, I've been following and I've been going to church, I've been doing the thing, but it doesn't seem like it's working, but maybe it's not working because you bought a counterfeit version of it. Maybe it's not working because you don't have the real thing because you're not allowing Jesus to actually come along and say, hey, I need to confront some things in you to bring about more life in you. He's going to confront, but it's always for the better. See, we push back and we're like, no, I don't want him to confront me. I don't want him to challenge me. But the reality is we should want that because whenever we just settle into what we already think and how we already view the world, our track record isn't very good. Like what I know about you, and I know this about you because I know this about me, is that when I don't allow the way I live, think, and view the, like stuff to be challenged, I'm pretty good at destroying my own life. Uh, and Jesus wants to come along and say, hey, let me confront those things in you before you blow your life up. Let, let me point you in the direction that actually leads to life. So he's like, don't be amazed. Don't be shocked by this. You, you, you need to be confronted. You need to forget everything you think you know about the world and how it works and who you are and who God is. You need to be born again. Then he gives this beautiful picture. He says, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Like the wind comes and it, it, you, know, you, you hear it and it comes and it goes. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes, but you do hear it. You see the leaves kind of rustling. You see this happening. It's, like it's the same, same way with those who are born of the Spirit. He's, he's doing a little play on words here because the, the, the Greek word for wind and spirit are the same word. Uh, it's the word pneuma with a silent P at the beginning. It's where we actually, uh, where we get things like pneumatic, like you've got pneumatic tools. They're, they're air-powered, they're wind-powered tools, right? And so that's the idea. It's, it's wind, it's spirit. And so he, those two things are tied together. And he says, listen, when it comes to the wind, you don't actually see it, but you see the effects of it, right? He says the same thing is true of the spirit. You can't actually pinpoint and see like, oh, there it is. That's, that's God's spirit. I can see it. I can poke it. I can prod it. I can test it. So you, you can't see it, but you can see its effects in your life. You should be able to see the Spirit's work in your life, and other people should be able to see the Spirit's work in your life as well. One author said this, and I thought it was so fitting. He said, first century outsiders, so in the first century when the church is just getting off the ground, first century outside observers, people that weren't Christians, knew little of how Christians became followers of Jesus. They understood little concerning their eschatological destinies. But what they could sense was the presence and work in these children of the Spirit in the midst of pagan and Jewish societies. What they saw and heard from the Christians who were present in their societies was telling as to how they formulated their understanding of Christianity. Their lives were a witness to the unseen reality. Is this not an appropriate word for today? You see, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. We don't see the Spirit, but we, we should see the effects of the Spirit in our lives. You know, we ask that question, like, you know, am, am I saved? Am I a Christian? Am I a follower of Jesus? Here's a better question to ask is, do I have a power at work in me that feels like it's not me? Is there a power at work within me that's transforming in my life that I can look at things and say, you know what? Like, there's no way that who I used to be could have done that or, or lived that or thought that or acted that way. And there is something from outside of me that changed me into a new person, like, is that power at work in your life? Am I someone who's dying to sin and running towards new life? Towards like, you know what, a year, a year ago, 
I, I, would, I, would have, I had this horrible habit, this horrible addiction, this horrible sin. I was destroying myself, but now I'm, I'm able to, de to deny that and move towards life. And that's not me. That's the Spirit's work in me. Do we have those things at play? And the power of the Spirit. You know, I remember years ago um, at, uh, at my grandma's house. I was probably in like high school. Um, every Sunday night, we would go to my grandma's house and have uh, like just kind of visit for like two hours or so, and grandma would always make dessert, and it was always awesome. Uh, one particular Sunday, it was summertime, so me and my brother, we were out on the back porch on the swing, just kind of, you know, just taking it in, taking it in the nice summer night, um, covered porch, sitting on the swing, and one of those big, just summer, like, just gust of storms, it just comes out of nowhere, right? This huge storm blows in, and we're sitting there and just kind of watching it there as we swing, and about 30 or 40 yards up the, the backyard, it was kind of up a little bit of a slope, there's a couple of maple trees, and just out of nowhere, like, a huge gust of wind comes through and like a third of this one massive tree just splits and comes crashing down into the backyard. And we both just kind of look at each other like, did that just happen? Did we, did we just like watch that happen real time? And we did. And if you were to ask me in that moment or my brother were to ask me like, did you see the wind? Oh my gosh, did you see it? I would have said, yeah, I saw it. But the reality is I didn't actually see the wind. What I really mean is, I saw what the wind did. I saw the effects of the wind. I saw the incredible power of the wind you know, moving and changing and working on something else. And that is a picture of the work of the Spirit in your life. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, or if you are considering Christianity, we need to know and own and understand that Christianity is not just a set of ideas. It's not just a worldview. It's not just a philosophy. In fact, this is one of the things that, that sets Christianity apart. It's not just a faith system and tradition. Like It is those things, but it's more than that. There's something empowering and transforming about it. There's something that works on you that is outside of you that changes you. Like that Christianity is meant to be practical and transformative in the everyday things of life as the Spirit of God works and moves in you and changes you. He says, this is, this, is what, this, is what, this is what it is of anyone born of the Spirit. When you, get into, you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to be born of the Spirit. When you're born of the Spirit, it starts doing stuff in your life. Nicodemus is like, how? How can these things be? I don't get it. I don't get it. Now, before we're too hard on Nicodemus, like, you know, th this is hard to get. This is new. This is blowing his mind. And it would appear actually later in life, Nicodemus does get it. It seems as though he becomes a follower of Jesus. He's like, how, how, I just, I can't make, I can't compute this in my mind. What are you talking about, born of the Spirit? I thought I was a Jew. I thought that was enough. And Jesus says, hey, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Nicodemus, you're supposed to know this. Nicodemus, you should be picking up on that passage from Ezekiel, this cleansing and this filling and what the Spirit is doing. Like, you should be aware of this. And it's crazy because Nicodemus, he's a Bible guy. He's a theology guy. He's a scripture guy. Like, he knows his Bible. He has the right belief. He has studied. He has memorized. He's got it all together. But all the information and learning and training in the world wasn't enough. He needed the Spirit. He needed to be born again. See, Nicodemus demonstrates this powerful idea that religious training without spiritual insight is useless. Like, like religious information and learning more and knowing more and, like, and, like, and, and, and like going through the, 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 the motions and doing the practices and doing the rituals and having all the information and having all the right beliefs. I believe all the right things. It's worthless without spiritual transformation. 
Like you need both parts. It's, it's, it's great to know stuff, and we should like press into knowledge. But that's not where the thing ends. We need spiritual transformation. Jesus continues, says, truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and testify to what we've seen, but you don't accept our testimony. When he says we, he's talking about himself and the disciples. And by extension of that, those of us that are Christians today, we speak about what we know, we testify to what we've seen, like we know and we've seen God's power and God's working in our lives. And then he says, if, if I told you about earthly things and you didn't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one's ascended into heaven except the one who's descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Son of Man is one of Jesus' ways of referring to himself. It's a title um, that, that he takes on. And he's like, listen, he, he's basically saying, like, I've, you know, I've, been, I've been to heaven. I'm from heaven. I'm from, like, I am from God. I'm from God's space. I understand the kingdom. I understand the way all this works. Like, I have firsthand info, and I'm telling you, if you want to see the kingdom, if you want to enter the kingdom, if you want to experience the kingdom in the here and now in your life, you need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit. See, Nicodemus didn't need more journeys to the temple. He didn't need more rules to follow, more rituals to perform. He didn't need more services. He didn't need to do more sacrifices. He didn't need to say more prayers. He didn't need more information. What Nicodemus needed was the power of the Spirit to come into his life. He needed to be born again. And see, to enter the kingdom, to see the kingdom, to experience the good and the beautiful and the abundant life that is characteristic of the kingdom, it requires to be born again, to be born of the Spirit. So what, what, what I want you to know more than anything is that there is a life, like there is a life on offer for you that you can't even begin to imagine. There is transformation in your life as you sit there right now at home, on the road, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, wherever you're listening to this, there is life and transformation available to you that you can't begin to imagine. Like there is a sense of life and goodness and transformation and flourishing that is available to you and your relationships. Like you can be set free from addiction. You can have freedom. You can have hope. You can have restoration of relationships. Like you can, you can have self-worth. Like you can, like there are, there's so much that is available to you, but you can't get it by your own human efforts. It just can't be done. You see, you, you can't, you can't fix your marriage. You can't make your marriage flourish in the way that it potentially could, no matter how hard you try. You, you can't eliminate anger from your life, no matter how many uh, exercises you do or how much you meditate. You can't get rid of anger entirely from your life. You can't do it. You, you can't solve the loneliness that you feel no matter how many activities you pack full in your schedule, no matter how, how, many, how many things and responsibilities you take on and how, how social you are, like you can't solve the loneliness in your life. You can't force yourself to be generous. No matter how much money you give, you can't force yourself to be generous. You can't break free from your anxiety and your depression, even with the best counseling and medication. You can't have a faith that is alive and active and transformative and vibrant just by knowing more and learning more. Now, that's not to say that with any of those things and many others that you shouldn't try. You should absolutely try. You should do all that you can do. You should make progress. You should push forward. You should have a plan. You should be disciplined. You should be responsible. Absolutely. But there's this understanding that at the end of the day, I can only go so far and I can only do so much. That my human efforts will yield human results. And my human results may, may lead to my life being a little bit better but they will never lead to the abundant life that you were made for. It may make my life a little bit better than it is now, but I'll never step into the abundant life that God has for me. My human efforts lead to human results, but 
the Spirit of God working in me, working in you, leads to supernatural results. Because flesh gives birth to flesh. And Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And the Spirit of God, man, it's like the wind. You don't see it. But it is a powerful force whose impact is undeniable. And so for a couple of groups of people, as we close this out, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, do not settle for a faith that is intellectual only. Like, don't, don't settle for a faith that is just, like, listen, doctrine and theology and belief and reason and evidence, all of that is important. That is necessary. You cannot, like, you can't discount that. Like, that stuff is huge. In fact, like, I love that stuff. If, if I had, if I lean more towards, like, is it all about the spirit and experience or is it about belief and reason and evidence? I'm, I lean heavy on the belief and reason and evidence side. That's just kind of how I'm wired. Like, that stuff is important. That is huge. But that's just a launching off point. There has to be more than that. It has to move beyond reason and logic and information to an experience with God, to a transformative something that happens through the Spirit. And so maybe a good starting point for you on that is this week to just begin having that posture and maybe you don't know what to do or how to do it or how to pray. Just go, just go to that position where it's like, I would encourage you this week to just, just start with like that simple prayer. God, I don't, even, I don't even know. But I want to be born again. I want to be born of the Spirit. Like, I don't just want to know a bunch of stuff and have right belief. I want the transforming power of the Spirit in my life. So would you cleanse me and would you fill me so that I can see, enter, and experience your kingdom? Now, if you're someone who you would say, listen, I'm watching this. I'm not a Christian, though. I'm curious. I got, I've got questions. Well, first of all, like, good on you for watching this. Like, that, that's awesome. Um, but, but let me just say that evidence and reason and logic will never, will never be enough. Now, 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 you should absolutely keep leaning in. You shouldn't accept like anything on just blind belief. You should keep showing up. You should each keep asking questions. You should keep looking at the evidence. But, but somewhere along the way, that won't ever, like you will never be able to evidence yourself into belief. At some point, there's gotta be like, a, okay, now I'm relying on something outside of me. God, I think you're real. Jesus, I think you're there. Would you do something in my life? Would you fill me with your spirit? You see, I absolutely believe that there's overwhelming evidence, historical, philosophical, logical, scientific. Like, I think I, I, there is reason and logic and evidence and good belief for the Christian faith. But that will never be enough. It's important because faith is not blind faith. You need to have reason for what you believe, but there's got to be more. See, we, we run the ramp of reason to take the leap of faith. Reason and logic is a launching off point but then something outside of yourself takes over. And so if you're there, if you're teetering, if you're like, I just need that one last thing, just know that one last thing may never come. There eventually will be a step of, I just have to trust now and believe that God will do something in my life. If you, if you want to see, if you want to enter, if you want to experience the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit.